This week I was, I was looking at some Australian phrases and so I'm going to say half the phrase. Some of them are maybe not exactly Australian but you will know the phrase and you have to say the other half. Is that, is that okay? So you can decide how loud you want to be. All right? Sometimes people are really loud and then they get it wrong and it's like if, you, if you're pretty good and you know that Jesus covers your shame and you're all good, you can, you can shout it out. All right? Um, happy as a... Larry as a, as, a, as a lark. Okay, there's a few there. There's a few different versions of that. Here's, here's an Australian one. Tell him he's dreaming from the castle, of course. Uh, that guy is a few stubby short of a six-pack. Uh, fair crack of the whip. Um, I'm not going to pull the wool over your eyes. See, you're doing well. You're doing really well. Have a go, your mug. It's not fair. Uh, that was the tricky one, right? Have you not heard this one? It, it's not fair and someone goes, life's not fair, get over it. Have you heard that one? It's probably not. Yeah, see, the whole thing fails right now. whole thing fails right now. You know, fairness is a big deal to us and uh, it can be hard to live in a world that's not fair. Um, one of the things I notice working in Christian schools is Christian schools... Because of the character of God and what they stand for, they're committed to making sure that things are fair and just. Um, so much so sometimes that everyone gets a prize in a school, whether you actually do the work, in a Christian school, whether you do the work or not, because it's just got to be fair. You don't want anyone to actually miss out. And one of the problems that Christian schools create, I think, that they need to be aware of, uh, is that children who come out of, or people who come out of Christian schools, tend to have an overblown sense of justice. And they, uh, they struggle a bit with a world that tends to be unfair a bunch of the time. I remember I was on playground duty in this school uh, years ago and this kid ran up to me. He was in grade three or four at the time. And uh, his dad was actually a staff member, so it made things a little bit easier. But this kid ran up to me and he goes, uh, Mr. Sondergeld, this kid over here keeps chasing me and he's really annoying. Can you stop him? All right. Now, I knew that this kid was a really fast runner. Not the one chasing, but the one that came up and was talking to me. And I said, well, you're faster than him, aren't you? He goes, yeah, I am. I said, off you go. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we are are into fairness and sometimes we don't do so well when things are unfair. We are particularly into fairness as Australians, all right? Everyone's got to have a fair go. I mean, how many times have you heard that kind of um, idea kind of wrapped up in election campaigns? It's, we've got to give people a fair go. Um, And and the bottom line is that Australians care about fairness, but I think they don't actually care that much about fairness unless it affects them. And then they they start to care a lot about fairness at that point. And uh, we're going to read a parable today that is actually about fairness. And uh, today's parable... Uh, rightly understood, would probably wind up pretty much every Australian, especially if they were one of the people in the parable. In fact, the union movement would have a lot to say about today's parable. Uh, But it's not a story today about workplace relations. It's a story that teaches us about who God is and how he works. So uh, let's, let's read it together. So Matthew 20, if you can open your Bibles up to that, that'd be great. 
Matthew 20, we're going to start at verse 1. Matthew 20, starting at verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the labourers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, quick note, a denarius a day was a fair wage for an unskilled labourer. So it wouldn't have been hard for this uh, owner of the vineyard to actually find people to, um, to work in his vineyard for a denarius a day. In fact, it's a little strange even that the owner's there in the marketplace gathering these workers together. He probably, often they would, would have just sent a servant to do the job. But anyway, the owner's here, he offers a denarius a day, fair wage for a day's work, um, and these guys accept. Verse 3, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and, and to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. Notice here, like there's no agreed amount at this point. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. Good answer. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the labourers and pay them their wages beginning with the last up to the first. And when those, who, when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the first will be last. Sorry, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Let's kick in. Here's... It's the first thing I think we see in this parable is that humans like things to be fair. You know, if, if you look there, there's, there's fairness at the start because the owner of the vineyard says, I'll give you a denarius for a day's work, a fair price. Um, and then you actually see uh, from verse 9 to, to 12 there that the fairness, the sense of fairness that people have really rises to the surface. Um, you know, at the beginning, the, uh, the workers agree. Sure enough, they say, that's a a fair pay for a day's work. And then after that, you notice no one else gets told what they're going to be paid. And there's a dead set stitch up at the end. You know, you can imagine the situation, can't you? Like the the guys who started work in the morning are watching when the money's starting to be handed out. And they're probably not thinking, after after the first person gets paid, they're probably not thinking about what they agreed to at that point. It's like, whoa, a guy... A guy worked for an hour and he got, he got one? Oh, we are going to be cooking. <laughs> All right? When this goes along the line, we are going to be cooking by the time it gets to us. And then it just starts to get a bit weird because the next one along, working up to the one who worked the longest, gets one as well. You know? And they would have, at that point, you just go, that, that's going to be messing with their heads. 
I think they probably presumed that it was going to end well, but it didn't. And then it boils over, (laughs) doesn't it? At the end, this is not fair. And uh, I want to just take a moment to just help you to see how much fairness is ingrained into your thinking. Like you just think fairness so much of the time, like it's ingrained into your psyche. Fairness. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Kids cutting up a piece of food to share. And, and civil war breaks out. Is, is everyone, anyone, does anyone know what I'm talking about? So, so we've often got this rule in our house. One person cuts and the other person chooses. Which is a fair rule. But what, why do you need to have a rule like that? Well, you have to have a rule like that because humans, a lot of the time, will act in their own interests and they'll leave other people defrauded. The, the rule... It's a nice rule in a sense, but it's a rule that's based upon fallen human behaviour, selfish behaviour. That fairness is actually not going to happen and fairness is really, really important to people. What about this one? Some of us, I don't know how many, but I know that in a group this size some of us do this, right? You know how many times you've been over to someone's house for dinner compared to how many times you've had them over to yours. Do you, does anyone know what I'm talking about? So like, yeah, we don't tell anyone that, do you? But you kind of know. It's like, what are you doing? Well, the fairness thing is like keeping a personal tally and you've got a tally of it. And even right now, you're going, yeah, look, I can think of six people who have never invited me over for dinner even though I've had them over. What about this one? Uh, we keep note of how many times... We've moved towards someone to be loving toward them compared to how many times they've moved toward us. Here's another one. We take notice, specific notice, of everyone else who's speeding when we're getting fined. (laughs) True? The ones that aren't getting caught. You know, and then you drive a K down the road after you've been fined and you're just going, that person's over the limit. That's not fair. I just got pinged. I have to pay 150, 200 bucks, and they're getting to get. They're able to get away away with it. What about this one? We we take note of how many times someone asks us in a conversation about us, compared to how many times we ask them about them. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? No, you're not going to meet that one. What about this one? At work. We keep a tally of how many times our boss compliments someone else compared to how many times they compliment us. And maybe even, this is an interesting one, we we even take note of how much we have quietly given without recognition. Like we take note of that, I've done all this stuff but I'm not telling anyone because all those other people tell people about what they've done and that's not good and I'm the good person. I'm the one who just gets out there and does the work. But I am noticing. I'm counting. All right? Even though no one knows I'm counting, I'm counting. <laughs> we keep personal tallies. We, uh, we, we like things to be fair. Is, uh, the second thing I think we see in this parable is our view of fair is skewed. Our view of fair is skewed. Uh, I'm just going to read from the text there, Matthew 20. Um, 
I'm going to read verse 13 of Matthew 20. The owner of the vineyard answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you. In the midst of complaint about unfairness, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? And this, this is the critical part of the story. And there's a question of fairness here. But the read of the worker about what fairness is, is all wrong. There isn't any unfairness to the man that worked all day long. The unfairness is actually to the person who worked an hour and got paid the same amount of money. Do you see that? It's, it's a gracious unfairness. It's not an unfairness to the first worker because the first worker got paid a fair day's wage for a fair day's work and that was the deal. That was the deal. It was the last one and every other one that didn't work a full day who got treated unfairly. Positively, but they got treated unfairly. The first guy was treated fairly. Who knows that you often get better than you deserve? Does anyone, anyone here want to admit to that? You often get better than you deserve? Uh, let's just go back to speeding fines for a minute. Think about speeding fines. How many times do you reckon you've been guilty of speeding? Since you've been driving. I'm not talking about how many times you've been fined. How many times have you been guilty of speeding? Now, have you ever heard anyone going around complaining that they haven't been fined enough times because of their speeding? Have you ever heard that? I haven't. Because you know what? That's unfair. It's unfair that you would speed probably 200 times at least in your life and not get fined for them every time. That's unfair, isn't it? Even if it is by accident, you're still speeding. What about, um, <laughs> what about gossip? How many times do you reckon you've gossiped and broken relationships haven't been the end result? Like probably heaps, right? Probably heaps of times. There's heaps of times probably that you've said things about other people and it should have trashed a relationship and for some reason it didn't. Have you ever heard anyone complain about that? I can't believe it, man. I gossiped like a hundred times last week and it didn't bust up any relationship that I had. It's not fair. You know, we are far more gracious to ourselves than we are to other people. Now, there are sometimes people, there are sometimes situations for people where they get in a place and they get in a season where they're very, very self-condemning, right? But, and I think that's kind of a whole other category a little bit, okay? But we are very easy on ourselves. Even those times that we're hard on ourselves, we cut ourselves lots and lots of slack. I think we only really care about fairness when we are missing out on something good. No one complains about things being unfair when they're missing out on something bad. And that's the point at which in this parable, envy actually comes into play. You know, Matthew 20, verse 15 that we read before, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? 
the owner says, or are you envious because I'm generous? You know, uh, I uh, looked up a, um, a dictionary definition of envy today, and I think it's, I think it's helpful. Uh, according to the dictionary, envy is a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. You know, our idea of fairness is actually skewed because it's self-oriented. It curves in on itself. It's actually a problem of comparative fairness. It's like I didn't get what someone else got and I should get what they've got. And it's a thing. Like, this is a big thing in our culture, in Australian culture. You know, and it's not even a fairness thing between you and someone who's way outside of your, uh, your cultural zone, like your class that you sit in. It's actually the strongest with someone that's in your class. So rarely do ever people say, I've never heard anyone in this church say, it's not fair that billionaire is, has got so many more things than I've got. But people will complain about fairness of someone who's roughly on the same income, roughly living in the similar kind of house and someone else gets something good. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You all, are you okay? We want things to be fair, but our view of fair is skewed. Here's where I'm going to finish today. It's going to be shorter today. God's grace is about not counting. God's grace is about not counting. Read verse 14 to 15 with me. Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who is hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money or are you envious because I'm generous? This is, um, this is a really helpful statement from Philip Yancey. He says this, Grace is not about finishing last or first, it's about not counting. So this whole thing where we think about fairness and we're doing tallies all the time, the kingdom of God, this parable is saying, doesn't do that. It's not about tallying stuff. The guy that got hired at the 11th hour got 12 times more, basically, than he deserved. And you know what happens in this parable is that no one gets less than what they deserve, but just about everyone gets more than they deserve. And this is what God's kingdom is like. God gives to people freely without merit. You know, and here's, here's the kicker, is that it doesn't matter whether you're, you love Jesus and you're a Christian or whether you're not. We just have this thing going on with humanity where we're trying to be acceptable. And, and like we just kind of have something to offer. We're trying to be good in some way. There's some, something in our life that makes us worthy. And sometimes we can even think that thinking that we're not worthy makes us worthy. We'll go and tell people that we're not worthy and somehow telling people that we're not worthy makes us worthy. You know, we might admit that we're bad sometimes, but we also, sneakily, without even always noticing, I think that most of us think we're bringing something to the table. 
Like it is not, it is just not a blank kind of tale. So like I'm bringing something. Like it, hey, granted, it's not much, right? It's, it's pretty average, but there's something. I'm putting something on the table. It's a dry scone that's like three weeks old, but I'm bringing something to the table here. It's, it's not very common for people to say they are completely bankrupt and have absolutely nothing to offer. And some of you might go, oh, don't you, don't you, haven't you got something to offer? You're like you're a nice person. And I just go, well, the nice person that you are is because God's been gracious to you and you're breathing his air and you're eating his food. In fact, you don't own yourself anyway because he made you. If someone makes you and they put all the input costs in and they get to own you, that's just how it works. That's what the Psalms say. That God made everything and he made it out of his stuff so he owns everything. You, and I'm not even talking about blowing it and doing dumb stuff and sinning. I'm just saying you just, you just actually don't have anything to offer. You know, this whole thing about, you know... It's like this crusty old dried scone on the table that's been, it's, was made three weeks ago, right? This, this whole thing is, this whole grace thing is like, it's like going to your dad and asking your dad for 20 bucks as a kid to buy him a present. Hey, I've got this awesome present. It's like, yeah, excellent. So he went in his car, he used his money to buy him a present. That's kudos, man. Like you're just, you're just rocking it right now, right? Now, the dad loves it because the kid's thinking about him, right? But it's weird to actually say, I'm, well, I'm putting something on the table. Now, if you look at the Bible, there's, there's lots of places in the Bible where people just say, I've got nothing and I'm going to you because you get everything. Good plan, all right? This is one out of uh, Philippians 3, verse 8 to 9. For his sake, for Jesus' sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may, may gain Christ. So he's kind of going, all the good things that he had, all the stuff that he could put on the table, he goes, it's all rubbish compared to gaining Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So he's kind of going, I can't put anything on the table between God and I by following the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, Paul knows there's nothing he can do to make himself acceptable. Nothing at all. Keeping the rules is not going to get it done. Being a good person is not going to get it done. It won't make him right with God. He handed in all of the things that he thought was actually going to get him some kind of notoriety or acceptability. He handed them all in and said, that's nothing and I'll just take what you give Jesus. And that's what the kingdom is like. You don't have any merit. Now, here's my object lesson, right? Now, this is some filtered tank water from uh, the Sondergel tanks. Okay, it's very, it's very lovely. Okay, and you, you just imagine you are completely parched with, with thirst, right? You haven't had a drink in like three days, right? Close to, close to death, all right? And you're, and you're coming up and you're just going, I, I just need to get some of that Voss, which is not Voss, um, Sondergel filtered tank water, right? Because that, after not being able to drink for three days, it's just, that is going to be so sweet, all right? It's just going to be so good, right? Now, 
I want you to imagine that this, this is the grace of God. Okay? And hear this, the grace of God is sweetest in its purest form. And one of the things that we do, right, is we, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you some slack here, right? I've got some, uh, I've got some salt, okay? We, we come to God, right, and we, we go, yeah, look, I can see, I can see that grace that you've got going on there, right? And I'm just going to add a little bit to it. Right, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, not much. Come on, you can hardly even see that. Like that's what percentage would that even be of that water? But do you know what's just changed? One of the really critical things that has just changed for you is the sheer delight of tasting the water now, because now it's all salty. And every single time when you and I go to God and we feel like we've got something to offer, we add something to his grace and you don't get to taste it the way that you're meant to taste it. And it's not refreshing the way that it's meant to be refreshing. It's different. Now the Bible's really clear about it. If you think that you add something, it's not grace anymore. You could say that. You could say, oh Peter, the, it's not even grace anymore because it's, now it's wages. Because you earned something. But do you see that? I'm even cutting you some slack. Like, if you, like, you're all lovely people. You are, right? And it's like, oh, surely there's got to be something that we can add to it. And as soon as you add something to it, it goes, it goes weird. Now, that's just one. Now, this is, this is where it gets just a little more, a little darker and a little more sinister, right? Because the things that we think we offer to God, you could argue that none of the things that we offer to God are completely 100% pure. So then at that point, you know what we're actually doing is where this is dirt from the Sondergill backyard, right? So at that point now, we're not just adding salt in there. We're, we've got this, we had what was it, was, it was, it was lovely water and it would have been a delight to, to drink. And now what we're actually doing is, now we've got dirt in it. Now, do you, know, do you know the main thing that I want you to see with this, um, with this object lesson? You know what it is? I want you to grieve showing up to God and feeling like that you bring something to offer. Because whenever you do that, you don't get to drink the pure grace that God has for you. And you should be sad about that. I was, in, I was in a group this week. Um, I was doing some, uh, some, some pastoral care this week. I was in a group and um, this hit me like a sledgehammer. It's like any time, Peter, that you feel like you have something to offer, you are going to miss out on tasting and drinking deeply from God's kindness and his grace toward you and from the grace and the mercy of other people toward you. You know what I'm talking about? I think you do. And the reason why I think you know what I'm talking about is because I think this has happened for you. I think that you've been in places where you've said, I have nothing to offer and I'm like a shag on a rock 
at this point in time. I'm just, I'm exposed. It's, it's scary. It's dangerous. This person could just walk away from me because they've just seen me at my worst. God's seen me at my worst. He could walk away from me. And, and someone or God himself says to you, either it was horizontal or vertical, I love you. I see you. I see that you're an absolute reckon that you've got nothing to offer me and I love you anyway. Now that is something else. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? That is something else. And the dumb thing is that we have little moments like this in our lives where we get a sense that there isn't any kind of merit going on for us in the way that we get grace from God and from other people. You get a little kind of... It's like, you know, you suck on pure oxygen for 10 minutes and then you just go, yeah, good, I think I'm going to be right for the next six months and then we start doing this merit thing again. And you start thinking that you just... I can chip in a bit, you know, and I keep bringing up... It's like, where did you get that scone from? Can you just put the scone away, all right? Because every time you keep bringing that thing out, it just gets weird. It gets dirty and it gets salty. See, the way that we think you become acceptable is that you do something. You earn, you earn it. And you know, part of the problem for us about becoming acceptable is we like to be in control, don't we? Does anyone, anyone know what I'm talking about? We like to be in control, right? And do you know, if you are completely true to who you are and you're just very open about who you are and that you just can't get your stuff together, all of a sudden, I'll tell you what's going to happen, you're just completely out of control at that point. Because the question becomes, what's God going to think of me and what are other people going to think of me? And I want to suggest to you this morning, whether you follow Jesus or not, that that is the most peaceful place to be in. Because if you, if you want to try and do something to be acceptable yourself and earn some kind of merit, you are going to be doing it the rest of your days. And you'll need to run and run and run and run. And when you're tired, you'll need to, when you're tired, you'll need to run some more. There is a stunning purity to having nothing to offer. Isn't there? There is a stunning purity to it. And and there's a stunning purity to the grace that you get when you stop operating according to merit and trying to be acceptable. It's precarious. It's precarious. And and those who need grace are in a precarious place whether they know it or not. But let me ask you this question. What would you be like if you really believed it? If you really believed what I was saying today, that you didn't have to be on this, like a hamster on a wheel, just running and running and running to become acceptable. What if you just didn't have to do that anymore? Because do you know something? There is a day coming where you won't have to do that anymore at all. And that's when Jesus comes back and wraps everything up. But I'll tell you something else. Jesus has done enough for you. He has done so much for you that you actually can stop doing that now. We, we do not sit here as people who go, there's going to be an amazing thing coming in, who knows when, when Jesus comes back. Jesus has won the victory on the cross and he said, I give you grace and kindness and mercy without merit. Like the owner of the vineyard in this story and you can just stop. You can just stop now. 
Now, none of, us, none of us are finished, right? So we're probably always going to be a little bit of a mixed bag, but you can actually stop now. You can say to him, I'll take your grace and your goodness and your record to me, and that's going to be like kryptonite to me needing to get some kind of acceptability or some kind of merit. You, uh, you have no claim. I want you to hear me. This is, this is meant to be a really gracious statement. You have no claim on God's grace at all. There's nothing that you can do. The best thing that you can think of is not enough to manipulate him into giving you grace, giving you kindness. The only way to be truly good is to receive grace from God, to receive his record, to receive his forgiveness. You're never going to be a truly good person by trying to be acceptable. You can only be a good person by faith and faith is trusting his provision for you on the cross. 